rather shame up or gag if you've let all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions I have to uh, Religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Alright, welcome along to the first Team 33 of 2019. I'm Raf Giello. As always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, at Team 33. That's all spelled out in words. We're also on Facebook and also on iTunes. You'll find every episode as well on the News Talk website if you go to the podcast section, and also now on the Off the Ball website when you go to that podcast section. But anyway, Joe Coffey is on the line. We've got Derek Ryan in studio. We've got Jonathan Higgins also here and end of call too. Happy uh, New Year, Raf. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, yeah, Happy New Year, Raf. Is everyone over sniffles and flus and all that kind of crack? Cause Just about. That yeah, was my. That was my. You had one. Was no. it? No, I, I, was, I was fairly sick. Yeah, yeah. I think you had a lemsip the moment I kind of came back. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still on oh. the lemsip. Yeah, some of us were not as well as others. It's a, it's although, a tough life. Yeah, although Joe Coffey was in my parish. I think the day I actually left to come back to Dublin, uh, he <laughs> was hanging around. <laughs> what? Uh, what was the rating or what do they call that trip advisor so, thing? Like, where are you leaving? Ten out of ten, Raf. Good. That's Mo, what we like Mo, to hear. Mo, Mo, Mo is the place to be in 2019. It certainly, it certainly is. That's why you left after 24 hours. Haunted <laughs> castles and yes. all. I heard Haunted the stories. Haunted castles and all. <laughs> yeah, Lord Leitrim, etc., etc. But anyway, a great man. <laughs> not according to the history books, <laughs> and not according to or me either. Beloved, <laughs> a, a, a beloved Lord of Leitrim. <laughs> beloved uh, might not be the right word for it. And end his anecdote that he told us. Uh, we probably won't repeat it on air because well well I feel, he was I, a he was a bad man that's I, all we can say i feel like we have a possible spin-off show from team 33 to, to, <laughs> to come on this uh, based on our conversation before off air beforehand <laughs> just team 33 does irish history if you just just, <laughs> yeah. just take a minus yeah. away from the name of the show or, and you're on the or, right or, track what, what, what was that tv show most taunted team 33 goes camping out <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in creepy castles and such <laughs> to find ghosts yeah now one thing that did get me thinking actually and involved leitrim and involved your mayo joe now this is the penalty shootout that happened in the fbd league unfortunately it was mayo that won and uh i know i comprehensive comprehensively rough well, yeah, in the shootout, 4-1. Like, yeah, but still, yeah, 4-1. Um, oh. At the end of the day, that did get me thinking about classic penalty shootouts, and we got a few in on Twitter, which I might read out later on, but uh, any ones that jump out to people here? For me, it's always England-Argentina in 98, but... Yeah, England-Portugal Por- England, Portugal in, that uh, was it 2004? Yes, the Ricardo. Yeah, yeah I, I, I well remember that one. Um, that was David Beckham's miss, wasn't it? Yeah, and, Dave Beckham. Yeah, and Darius Vassell, one of our former interviewees yeah. as well, who uh, also missed the penalty. The yeah. one that, the, the bit that stands out to me about that England one is actually the uh, gift grub that came after it. Uh, Mario Rosenstock did one, and it was, he he did a, a song, you know, Dry Your Eyes Mate by. Oh, that was that, oh, was that one? Yeah, he Dry Your Eyes Mate. It was the one where they lost, it was in zero, it was 2004, it was just after, but it was just after they'd lost against uh, France in the first game and Beckham missed the penalty. Yeah. Because, because Beckham got a penalty in the, la, in the last minute. Oh, and, and, he, and he skied it. And he skied it over yeah. the bar, yeah. Super. And then Sedan got the free kick. They got right. to England, I think England were 1 0 up. And yeah, then in France the 90th minute, weren't they? Gerard passed it back to home. Yeah, Lampard scored and then they sat back for. 
pretty much the next whatever 40 50 minutes and then you think mm. they're going to hold out and then Gerard's back pass to Thierry and Henry then and then you've Zidane yeah, who's Zidane's free speaking kick. of illnesses you know he uh, he vomited on the pitch and then stuck the free kick top in but <laughs> yeah su- surprisingly enough there's a penalty shootout from the mid uh, naughties that kind of um, stuck in my head a little bit you know around right back in the middle the 2005 even I was wondering what you were going to um, with yeah that uh, that definitely uh, probably the match more so than the shootout but the shootout I d- just kind of sums up the way the game went. There's a, a strange one, a bit left left field. It was a League Cup tie between Liverpool and Middlesbrough, 2014, under prime Brendan Rodgers. It finished 2-2 and then went to an epic penalty shootout, which was it finished 14-13. Uh, a couple of players got to take two kicks each. Even Simon Mingling stuck, a, stuck, like a, stuck a free kick. It was just one of those where it went on and on and on. And <laughs> you almost it, got to... was absolutely, to be honest, there was nothing at stake. So that's what well, we absolutely, wanted. Absolutely, yeah. Like yeah, every, yeah. Everyone, everybody knows domestic cups are just a waste of time. So The greatest yeah. shootout of all time has to be the uh, John Terry Miss slash yes. Van der Sar oh, saving. Yeah, yeah, I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, Ronaldo missing a penalty in the shootout. Obviously, Ronaldo's yeah. the least likely to miss a penalty in the shootout. What I like about that one, like, when everyone else is off celebrating he just falls on the ground and just bursts, yeah, yeah. bursts out crying um, on the I mean, I, Terry I mean, to like, mess it I mean, of all people uh, in the world John Terry to absolutely and, mess like, it up the way he did is just brilliant I, I'd say John Terry in fairness will probably in his career never fully recover from that because it, like I know yeah. they won the Champions League later on but like he had the chance well, to actually, win the Champions League. He didn't even League play in that final in 2012. Yeah, either. exactly. <laughs> he had his kid on though at the end of the yeah, piece, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I remember in that penalty shootout, Giggsy scored a penalty and the penalty was right down the middle. It was an awful penalty, but it went in. I remember everyone saying, great penalty. And I always use that penalty as a sign that a great penalty is a penalty that goes in. Yeah. yeah. It was an awful penalty, but it went in, so therefore yeah. it's a great penalty. Yeah. I always, that always kind of I, I, I think what makes the Terry is the fact, the Terry penalty is the fact that he slipped before he hit it. So, and that's effectively why he missed it. Yeah. And it's just, oh, I think he hit, it actually hit both of his feet. The way he slipped, he hit it with the right foot, but it actually tipped off his left boot and went wide. So it actually could have gone it, in and wouldn't have been allowed. Did, did it go wide or did it hit the post? It hit the post. It was an Elka, yeah. then they missed the last one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, but it didn't matter. Great penalty. That's the only one we want to talk <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, that's of course. Yeah, it's just nobody. Well, John Terry, it was the penalty yeah. to win it. Yeah, Terry would have won yeah. it if he scored and he didn't. And of all people, Terry as well. What are you doing giving the penalty to John Terry? The fifth penalty to John Terry. Come on. The fifth penalty. Has he ever taken a penalty before in his life before that moment? He, he always considers himself a bit of a player, though, didn't he? Well, know. on and off the pitch. Yeah, but um, I think it was. Yeah, I think the whole situation surrounding that, that shoot was just brilliant. Yeah, the Argentina England one actually that I'm thinking of as well. There was that moment with Kevin Keegan who was on co-commentary as well, and your man, the commentator, kind of turns to him and asks, "Will David Batty score?" And he's like, "Yes." Oh, yeah. How can we not mention uh, Italian 90, by the way, lads? Come on. Oh, no, we, uh, yeah, we got a tweet in actually from a Paul Rice. Yeah, said, I saw, you missed I, one I off support, your list there, yeah. lads. The nation yeah. holds its breath. Yeah, in yeah. fairness, that in is, fairness, though, can any of us really say I don't remember. That we I, don't remember. I vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember that. The 1990 yeah. World Cup, let alone. Uh, I, I, I suppose the only reason we, well, you know, it, it's been done to death. You know, I don't think, I don't <laughs> think, from an Irish point of view, there's nothing that has not been said about Italian yeah, 90 yeah, and the French yet. I don't remember about that shootout is that Packy Bonner got close to like five maybe four of the penalties yeah he kept missing them by just a, a couple of centimetres and then he obviously got the last one Daniel Tomofte who Tomofte. apparently opened a bar in Bucharest called Penalty which uh, oh really um, is that what he's later. famous for 
in like in Romania. Maybe potentially, yeah. I'm not sure, That's but a bit I know. Sad, uh, isn't it? I think the Irish Independent went over, a reporter went over a few years ago to Bucharest and uh, interviewed. He's obviously remembered from an Irish point of view, but it's sad if he's remembered in Romania for missing a penalty against Ireland in 1990. That's a bit sad for him. Outside of Italian ninety, like uh, World Cup t- uh, two thousand two, has to be a yeah. famous penalty shootout for Ireland for for the bad reasons. And we yeah. had the man who broke our hearts on the show just before Christmas as well, Kevin Kilban. <laughs> not, not that guy. Spanish, Spanish Kilban. That's that's Guys the fir- like that, that's the first time that as as an Irish fan I was uh, really tuned into what was happening, and it was my first heartbreak as a football fan. So that one stands out for me. Who missed um, the penalties? Caban, Matt Holland, and David Conley. Conley. David Conley. David Conley did the tried to Pianca and failed miserably. The one that always comes back, unfortunately, is our is our colleague in in normal time or was a normal time or extra time. Ian Hart has the penalty and oh, the, yeah. the, the rebound. That, that's the one that oh, really yeah. killed, it, killed it for me. And it is one of those ones that somehow. In Irish minds, we do think that we may have gone on to win that tournament. If, uh, we could, if have, we could have gone, we, we genuinely could have <laughs> yeah, won because, that tournament. Yeah, because we would have played. I've said this before on the show at least five, tied to ten times. But we would have played South Korea in the quarterfinals. Per show, you say this. However, we would, however South Korea were yeah. paying the referees. Well, the twelfth man was in force. That's, uh, that is not uh, yeah. Them, <laughs> well, that, that, that penalty <laughs> certainly there were dodgy decisions so, being so, made. That penalty shootout South Korea had against Spain was a farce. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then we would have played Germany after that, and we drawn with them. We already yeah, sorted the, yeah. the number of those. And I still think Brazil would probably have uh, won it. We could have taken Brazil. On we could a have done them. Yeah, Only yeah. two people scored against <laughs> Oliver Kahn in that World Cup: Ronaldo and Robbie Keane. Yeah. Fact, yeah, good company to be in. But anyway, we probably should switch to something that's far better. Or one tweet we did get in actually was the 06 World Cup um, final as well. The quality, the penalties and that. Only Dra- David Trezeguet missed. Um, otherwise, all yeah. of them were perfect. I have a horrible one that kind of is almost one that kind of defines uh, negativity in my childhood almost. It was the 2003 Champions League final at Old Trafford. Milan. Milan, Juventus. And it was one of those where, you know, this was before smartphones. This was before the internet. This was before. Oh, it was a nil. It was like a nil. All yeah. Draw, so it, it was yeah. this yeah. opportunity. Like these are big Italian teams that I've read all about, that I've mm. watched clips of. But the chance to see them live, I was so excited for weeks, telling everybody how good this was. The game was a horrible Italian nil nil, and even the penalty shootouts were crap, crap as well. Um, I think it finished three two or something like that. It was, it was just all in all, it was just the utmost disappointment as I can remember from that night. Shoshenko did score the winning one, but. Um, he didn't have the practice for two years later, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. Um, but fortunately for Liverpool, or unfortunately actually, they um, they were involved in a very early title decider, which probably it's unfair to call it a title decider at this time of year, January 3rd. But uh, I presume we all watched Man City beating oh, yeah. Liverpool 2-1. I think it was a title decider. I think if Liverpool won... It sort of is, yeah. I can't just see them, see them getting caught by with a 10-point... Lead, yeah. yeah I, um, I think uh, a draw. I, I, think, I think kept it open, and obviously the fact that they lost definitely keeps it open. But I think if they'd won, it would have been over. I still yeah. think it's too early in the year for like ten points. Got, of that we've massive still got about gap. five months of the season to yeah. run. About ten half points. The season to go. They hadn't lost. They haven't lost a game all season, and ten points. And they've de- well, a good I strong think that, defense uh, yeah. as well, which is the big thing that Newcastle didn't have back in the day and all that. Uh, I, I, just, I yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt here, but I've just thought of. Another penalty shootout. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's get back to that. Pirlo's, Pirlo's chip against England. That's oh yeah, yeah. That, yes, that, yes, that, that's yes, one yeah. of those you just go wow. Yeah. I remember yeah. watching at the time in town and the Paul Bar just went wow, and everyone's like, like, wasn't Joe Hart trying to psych out? He was. Yeah, he, he was. was. Trying to psych like, out that's Balotelli why he did it. Well, Joe, beat him Joe, and then he Joe did Hart was Pirlo's infamous job. for giving it socks from the line. You know, I even I remember even Gerard in a couple of times, and I think it was League Cup semi-finals where. 
when you see Gerard waving his fingers in front of a, a goalie, you know there's been <laughs> banters, we'll call it, will we? Or ice in the kicker, as the, as the Americans would call. Um, it's a it's slightly different off field, but the the poor old Bears from the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles and the Wildcats mm-hmm. um, Sunday night. Um, if you're talking about shootouts, the equivalents one that hit the upright, come down, hit the crossbar, and bounced out. Double doink. Double doink. Uh, I was thinking, sorry, sorry, about, sorry, sorry to go completely left field. Joe Hart over Christmas he got dropped for Burnley. Now he plays for is that right? Yeah. I mean, like three years ago when Pep Guardiola came in, he was number one for Manchester yeah. City. And like considered one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, and now he's getting dropped by Burnley, having been dropped for, by West Ham last year. I mean, his career has just fallen off a cliff since Pep obviously got rid of him. Yeah. It's almost that, as if he was. It's almost as if he was never really that, that good. Really, cool. yeah, it's surprising. Possi- I think like it's obviously he had a decent defence in front of him for a long time. Vincent Company at his best back in the day, but it's mad how he's getting dropped. And he's still quite young by his, I, th- I say he's probably 30, 31 maybe. Yeah, for a, by a goalkeeper standard. By a goalkeeper standard, that's, that's still quite down. young. And he just, he's, 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 he's obviously just on the way down. Maybe he is a, a goalkeeper that peaks at a certain age and his career is on the way down well, now. Quite possibly, as we said, maybe he had a very good defence in front of him that made him look a lot better than he, maybe he actually was. There's a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Is that harsh really, on him? I don't know. Well, per, yeah, no, I think he's, I think he's an average keeper. I think he was overhyped. I think he's a nationality. Definitely yeah. wasn't had an involvement in that hype. But the biggest thing for for me really with him is the fact that the game has evolved so much now that your keeper has to be no longer just get the ball and hump it up the pitch and will hope for the best. It's turned into the quarterback, if you want to call it. It starts all the attacks. You can even see, like they're not even on the same level, but you saw Simon Mingley last night struggle so badly in possession of the football. It's just the game has evolved a lot more and there's a particular type of keeper that may have done all right a couple of years ago when you know it was yeah. hump it. Um, and now he really struggles, and I think it's just affected his confidence. And you know, that's three big teams to drop him. You know, the writing's on the wall there, isn't it? I can see us having the same conversation about Jordan Pickford in eight or nine years. Time. I think he's an average keeper. Again, best, he's yeah. he's an average keeper. He performed excellent, excellent at the World Cup. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, he's very small for a keeper. His his distribution isn't that great, and he is twenty four. Is yeah, the thing I would like say he, that he's still he, very he's still young. young, and he has a chance to develop. But the way that the English press are hyping him up. up yeah. After that World Cup, oh, absolutely. Is, is the exact same as what happened, Joe Hart. I, I always think Schmeichel was twenty nine when he joined Manchester United, and like everyone, like he had what eight years there, seven years at United, and he was turning the best goalkeeper in the world when he's at United. Yeah. But he's twenty nine when the he same got with there. Same with Van der Sar at United. Van der Sar, uh, yeah, and even Van der Sar was a, was known as a quality keeper when he got there. But Schmeichel, I don't think was maybe as perhaps, much. Yeah. And Pickford, twenty four. Again, we don't know. In five years' time, we could be talking about him getting dropped for Burnley as well. But I think he's very young to be kind of... But I, th- I think you're right. Certainly there's a lot of hype about him. Yeah, it just, it just reminds me of what happened Joe Hart early in his career. I just want to bring it back to Liverpool because I know I changed the subject there. But we, <laughs> we've, gone, we've, we've gone completely and off before, topic. Before you change the subject, what, the one interview this week that we do have is with Graham Maloney. That's coming up at the end of the show. But uh, yeah, Enda. I, ju- I just want to get Jonathan's uh, perspective on this because the narrative seems to be now that everyone's ca- kind of arguing that Liverpool should do everything in their in their power to win the Premier League and should forget about the FA Cup, should forget about the Carabao Cup and the Champions League even especially. Um, is it really the is it really the fact that Liverpool should just go straight after this Premier League and forget about everything else? Would you not be equally as happy with the Champions League? No, you wouldn't be ha- no. the most prestigious trophy no. in world honestly, club football. Honestly, I've said this at the start of the season. I would have this many many discuss- discussions on, on Liverpool based shows and all that, etc. I would give up the Champions League for the next three years in a row if it meant winning the league this season. That's how mo- you do not realise how badly every Liverpool supporter in the world 
wants a Premier League trophy. Is that not an excuse? No, not in the slightest. Why can't you? Why, it's just making an excuse so that they can, if they get knocked out of the Champions League after a poor performance, that they can say, ah, I don't really care about that. We want to win the Premier League. No, the why can't just why can't Liverpool win both? Absolutely. Um, why can't the great Liverpool, teams? Great, great teams, teams go have after done both. Great teams go after both. I don't think the Liverpool squad is good enough to go after both. That's being brutally honest, particularly from an attacking point of view. You saw the changes last night. The first, the first eleven. The we'll look at the strikers. Front three, arguably one of the best attacking units in world football if you want to go that far I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration you swap it down after that and you're looking at well, Shakiri, uh, who played last night obviously not in front three I don't understand why Klopp dropped his front three last night can you not drop I, don't, I don't, never understand why uh, especially in a it was a big enough game this wasn't a you know a Carabao Cup third round get a tie against Bristol it was a big enough game against Wolves who were d- doing very well this year oh, the FA Cup like, who, who cares round. about the FA Cup honestly you still, Klopp hasn't oh, won a trophy no, Liverpool haven't won a trophy yeah. in 10 years if Liverpool, I know, but if Liverpool don't I mean, go on to win the FA Cup or don't league. go on to win the Premier League and don't go on to win the Champions League it's a they'll be year. looking at that FA no, Cup match about. You don't think if Liverpool fans end the season trophyless and they're looking back on the FA Cup tie they lost, well, their ambitions are fairly low. They haven't won a trophy say, in 10 ah, years. Who cares? Who cares? That doesn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, from the Arsenal fan who yeah. bought Arsene Wenger for years for not no, winning the trophy. No, I did not. I did not. I said it was good for Wenger to win a trophy, but like yeah. nobody cares. Nobody well, cares. Okay. So it's, 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 the it's the Pochettino who, argument who, then. Who won the FA Cup in 2014? Have a clue. Yeah. Who won the FA Cup in 2013? Nobody gives a shit. They like, do I give mean, a shit. If you, they do not. They if do you not. haven't won a trophy... It's a load of nonsense. No, Nobody no. cares. The, the involvement of the Liverpool team, and if even if... like I'm not saying Liverpool are going to go on and win the, the, this year. I think it's very much neck and neck. We're in the better position right now, but you just don't know. City coming back into form, De Bruyne to come back, and there's a lot of addition coming into that, into that squad and into that team, and they probably will kick on after getting the good result against Liverpool. But you've got it like this is as good a position as Liverpool have been in in a long, long time. You've got to put everything in this basket. This yeah, means so like, much, and it's like, not- like, like I, I just sorry to cut across. I'll just say this: like I mean, of course, Liverpool are prioritised the league. I mean, they've won the Champions League in this space of time. Winning the league at this stage for Liverpool is is bigger than winning the Champions League. And to be honest, in my mind, I'd be going, yeah, winning the league is a better achievement for Liverpool than winning the Champions League. Last night was more than just an FA Cup game, though, because having lost to City. There's a, an argument that their confidence will have taken a bit of a dent. Going out and losing, that's two games in a row now they've lost. Now, it's only a well, FA Cup game, it's against yeah, Wolves, fair enough, but still, it's a confidence thing. So coming back from the City game, you like the next game against Brighton is massive for Liverpool. And if Liverpool well, don't that, win that, that game, that's, yeah, a, that's that, a massive dent in their confidence. Last night, losing that could actually have an effect on their whole season, is my point. And why would you drop a front three when you could easily have played... Uh, Shakiri plus one of that front three, say even Firmino or or Salah, play them alongside Shakiri in your front three, and have I, I never understand why when teams drop whole groups of players in your team rather than kind of playing a weak inside last night. Definitely not playing your first eleven, playing a weak inside last night. Maybe dropping a couple of players, giving Salah a rest, giving Van Dijk a rest, but playing Firmino up top with Shakiri and one other player. But you look and, and have a bit of, have a bit of quality in your side. Like United did the same thing at the weekend against Reading. Dropped a lo- whole lot of players and once they were lucky to get through but certainly didn't play at their best. I never understand why you wouldn't maybe play one or two of your players, one or two of your big players in that squad. Okay, dropping Pogba, for example, they, playing they, more. They, they played Lovren, in fairness. Yeah. On the, the, for, all, yeah. for all of two minutes. <laughs> on, on that, would the, the team that Liverpool put out in comparison to this team that City put out, does that not worry Liverpool fans to say that this is Liverpool's second string side 
and this is City's second string. But side, everyone knows City that City have so much more depth, of course, than Liverpool well, that's, do. That's why so Liverpool had to, had to play a team like that. That's all the reason why you got to do that. Because if it happens in a league game that these players become missing, we're we're screwed. But does that not highlight further that Liverpool are not the best team in the league right now, and that City? Ultimately, C- will be squ- able to push. City ha- have a better squad. Liverpool are going above them. Start of the season, I still thought that City would edge it up. Obviously, I was hoping that Liverpool would go on a run and, and get past them. But they're probably a little bit ahead of what, what I thought they would be, to be fair. That City team, it's the, prob- the best ever Premier-, Premier League team. 100 Ooh. points. Oh, 100 points. No, but no, other, no other team has got that amount of points. Winning... Um one league just to make them the best. I certainly see that I certainly see that point Are you but, talking in the one off season yeah one off team so like like this team has played played last season got a record number of points has continued on has invested in the summer um, like, pretty inside but they had no competition last season so it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty handy to walk that to walk the league I mean United were the second best team in the league last year and they were awful so there's, there's I'd, definitely, I'd, definitely. I'd regard United's treble winning team as probably the best team because winning winning three major as well and they were made like like now you only have two major competitions but then you had three major competitions and it was a phenomenal achievement and I don't I don't I, I unless City do something close to that maybe a quadruple would, would be would be similar you know yeah, I'd, have, I'd have that United team and I'd have the one from around 08, 08. That, and that one Ronaldo right. Tevez Rooney were in it and probably Arsenal's invincible era because they did win a league about two years before that as well and yeah. they were just yeah. consistently very good yeah, yeah. Um, I'd probably still have them above that City team because City we have to see what follows on from a Liverpool, Liverpool point of view the worry for me would be that they are a a confidence side they've been, they've improved all season based on the momentum they've gotten from winning games and now losing two games okay one's an FA Cup game but losing two games in a row may dent that confidence you're going away to Brighton at the weekend it's a handy enough game you would hope that they'd be able to get a win and maybe get back on track from, from that but still last night was a chance to get back in and, and win a game and like literally put that City game out of your mind straight away go back go out and win a game and I'm surprised he didn't play a stronger side against Wolves in that game. He had to bring on Salah and Firmino in the end anyway. Yeah, no, there's definitely an aspect to that. You know, like they brought them on for 20 minutes or so, but I think he's looking at the bigger picture and I, I just don't think he's arsed about it. I think he's more, like the reality is Liverpool are probably going to go on a training camp at the end of January now when the second or the fourth round of the Cup is going on. They have a longer break come up to the Bayern Munich game, um, which I'll be given that the fact that the squad isn't as good as City's and there isn't that, that, that drop from the first team into the like you call it the second team or the squad players is is a lot bigger from Liverpool compared to City. Um, like, look, Brighton was always going to be a massive game. It's the, I think you you almost have to throw that game away. Last night you look at it from judging that game on, on league form. They've lost the City. It's a big statement how they're going to react now. They play Brighton before City play. It's a chance to extend the lead back out to seven. They're going to have to play. It looks like a midfielder in centre half now, which again shows the. The imbalance and the drop and the drop in the, the way their squad is is probably going to have to be Fabinho play against centre half away from home. Like that's the most important thing. If if we don't get a result against Brighton, that's when I would be getting worried. But I wouldn't be worried on the basis of last night's performance. Well, Brighton is a pretty tough place to go, though. They're in decent form this year. They're, they're in decent form. They are. They don't lose really, at home really after. good. They're a dangerous home. team. And Lewis Dunk and um, Duffy. Shane Duffy yeah. have Shane Duffy. They're they're beginning to form a, a relationship in there that for me no Salah and Manny might struggle to break down and I mean if, if Liverpool drop points to Brighton then that oh that, that's when you that's when that's it starts when to wobble start yeah to that's when not not on a weakened team against the FA Cup like you look at 
both goals, the first goal, Mingley has to do a hell of a lot better. Like it's horrible mistakes all through. Moreno plays the ball back, rams it back, there's no options. Millie tries to do a Cruyff turn in the centre circle and blocks. Fabinho dives in and next thing it's a one-on-one and your goalkeeper doesn't make himself as small as possible and, and the ball ball rolls in. Um, the, sa- the second one, it looks like a magical strike, but you know, Mingley takes a step the wrong direction. It all started from the young kid, Jones, giving the ball away on the, on the left wing. Um, it was an avoidable goal. Don't get me wrong. What a strike. What a strike. But you shouldn't put yourself in that opportunity um, yeah. to, to concede from there. But like, as bad as it was, there was still like, you saw, look, th- the biggest thing you will say about it is there was a number of players that got their opportunity last night that have both in terms of looking for looking for more game time at Liverpool or for their field, put themselves in the shop window. They failed miserably. The likes of Sturridge was awful. bloody awful last night. Um, Moreno was awful. Um, what do you make of uh, Klopp's comments about Keita? <sighs> Look, Keita hasn't hasn't worked out the way I thought it ha- would have had. There's been a number of factors for that. One, he's got a couple of niggly injuries, and he dragged away an in international duty when he and then he picked up more niggles over there. He hasn't got a chance to settle in. He's played slightly out of position compared to what made him thrive. I'd like slip, but still, I expected a lot more of him. I expected a lot more of him off last night. He showed flashes, but didn't didn't have enough quality yeah, through. Isn't it. that that clock thing of um, generally like even Fabinho took a time to be bedded in Robertson as yeah. well. There were a few. I think he, I'm not he, sure about Salah. Maybe Salah was a bit quicker in terms of Salah. Like, I was just having a discussion earlier in work. There's only two Liverpool signings that I can remember that bedded in straight away. And those are both exceptional players. That's Salah and Van Dijk. They pretty much came in and made a difference straight away. Every other player took a couple of months to kind of bet in and get used to the, the system and the style of football. That being said, I famously said that Cade would settle in straight away. That hasn't, that, has, that hasn't turned out. I generally thought he was that type of player, that he was so aggressive. He looked like he was absolutely perfect for the league. Don't get me wrong, I think he'll still turn out to be a fantastic player, but... Klopp tends to play him up the, on the left of a three at times at the start of the season and he was great going forward but he was so wobbly at going defensive, didn't cover back enough, didn't give enough options. I remember even the friendly in Dublin, Dublin um, against Napoli, Klopp absolutely berating him at times because he just wasn't given coverage on the left-hand side and, and left Robinson exposed. There is a lot more to come from him. The only little concern you would have is what looks like Liverpool will switch to the 4-2-3-1 which they played the last 20 minutes of the City game and looked a hell of a lot better team. How he fits into that system is going to be a stretch because do you play him at, 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 as one of the left of the front three? Probably not. And then you have two holders. He isn't really a holder. There's more humble players. So he's, he has a fight on his hands to to come good. But I've no doubt he will come good. But I think it's going to be next season now before the, we see the rest of him because I just don't think Klopp is going to trust him with game time in the big, big games coming up to the end of the season. Yeah, now the last time we all were in studio, I think Derek, you weren't here that time for the Christmas special. It was the day Mourinho got sacked. Ooh. So we're just going to finish on that very briefly before the final interview. So, uh, so obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, this mini era that we're going to have until the end of the season is going quite well. Yeah, um, you Joe, win the league. Yeah, Derek, did you expect this to, to work out quite as likely? <clears throat> obviously the fixture list was quite uh, yeah. accommodating. Yeah, but saying that uh, Mourinho has struggled in similar sort of fixtures all season. Certainly have, hasn't won five games in a row based, based on that. Uh, listen, the fixture list has been very good. Obviously, they're playing Spurs this weekend. That's a big test to see how how well they are. But at the same point, for me, all season it's been clear United have a squad of players, a very, very good squad of players, and they've been massively underperforming. It was about getting somebody in to get those players performing to their level. Not ahead of themselves, but to their level. Pogba is a much better player than he's shown all season, as he's shown over the past five games. Martial's a better player, Rashford, Lukaku, all these players are playing 
well below themselves all season and the point was to get somebody in to get them playing at their level if you can get that then you've, you've got a decent squad of players there who can get results and get results against the smaller teams which Mourinho has struggled to do losing to Brighton we spoke about West Ham early this season Wolves dropping points to them as well so if yeah. you can get someone to play at, get them to play at their level you're always going to get some results out of them and, that, and that's what he has done he's got them playing well they seem to be enjoying themselves yeah. as well okay. now listen that, that will change as soon as they lose a game maybe this weekend or if they get lose, have a couple of bad results that'll be a sign of how good Solskjaer actually is as a manager it's all well and good winning games that are fairly handy but still if you go through a couple of games without winning games maybe that might show how likely he is to become the full-time manager which for me is still very unlikely I would say Pochettino's still the massive favourite yeah. to get the and job and you do see the freedom on the pitch as well I mean Pogba's stupid dance celebrations seem yeah. to be back now obviously he didn't get a chance to celebrate many goals because he wasn't scoring a huge amount earlier in the season but now that he has had a lot of goals well, uh, the atmosphere is toxic they seem, they're, actually, they're all smiling yeah the atmosphere you know. is toxic under Mourinho well quite clearly was for the last three months pretty much three or four since the start of the season it was absolutely horrible like from the outside so I can only imagine what it was like on the inside Mourinho Bollock and Pogba that time for his Instagram post at halftime all that kind of stuff so there just seems to be a happy camp at this stage and like I said there's a very good people were saying all season United squad is poor it's not that poor okay there's issues defensively but aside from that you've got quality there Martial Rashford has been playing well all season Lukaku Sanchez can't be as bad as he's shown for United over the last year yeah. last 12 months Pogba, Matic has been poor under Mourinho for the last couple of years. He's certainly a better player than he's shown. Luke Shaw, there's a lot of good players in that squad and if you can get them playing to their level, that's all you're asking for. Get them playing to their level, not, a, not above themselves, then you're going to get results. Now, the, it's a, like I say, it's a big step up to play against Spurs at Wembley at the weekend and that'll really show how, you know, how good Solskjaer is as a manager and how much he can actually get out of them and even tactically how he can set up his team against someone like Pochettino. So that'll kind of show... Has he got any chance of becoming the full-time United boss? Again, for me, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, you don't think it's going to happen. Should it happen? I don't. I can't see it either because no. it's a perfect moment that he's in here. There's no pressure to, to really do anything. If he gets I, tested over the next few months, and like I said, there's a dip in form and stuff stuff happens over the next few months and everything's not plain sailing and, and he reacts well to that, then quite possibly. But for me, like we saw what happened with Di Matteo at Chelsea. They... Okay, fumbled their way to a Champions League back in 2012 and then he got sacked a few months later. I'd hate to see Solskjaer get sacked. I'd love to see Solskjaer as the United manager maybe in a few years' time having come back to the Premier League, taken on a, a, another club and done well with them and maybe get the United job after that. But for me, he's not quite ready for that yet. He's not a... We, we've tried out David Moyes. That didn't work. The kind of untested in inverted commas sort of manager. So I think it's time for somebody with a bit more quality and someone like Pochettino I think Pochettino for example like he's what he's done at Spurs is well known and for me he's a massive favourite to get the job and if Pochettino wants the job if he doesn't want the job then you're looking at maybe other options and maybe Solskjaer then but if Pochettino wants the job for me you can't turn him down yeah I don't know I can't read well obviously it's perfect it works out perfectly for the moment but Joe any thoughts on that before we let you go uh, no I think like obviously to be honest he, 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 the, the sacking couldn't have happened at a better time for Solskjaer I suppose he has uh, he had that nice run I mean it's just clear that that United were whatever instructions they were getting or weren't getting they it, it's the exact it's it's a mirror of exactly what happened at Chelsea when Mourinho left. All of a sudden, the performances across the table improved, and I remember I remember Chelsea played badly all season, and then all of a sudden they stopped Tottenham from challenging from the title with the they either drew or beat. I think they drew with them at Stamford Bridge that battle at Stamford Bridge. So I I I think like um, 
like Chelsea before them, United have just the the the, the Marino was the shadow that has has lifted spirits now that he's gone. You know, and when you have such an array of brilliant players, I mean, beating the teams they've been beating would be expected. Um, if if they can beat Spurs at Wembley, well, then maybe it might be time to start sitting up and, and taking notice of what they're doing. But the jury is out until then. There's always a bouncing form as well when a new manager comes in. No matter yeah. who that is. So but this is the bouncing form, if, I will if, see. If, yeah, if they beat Spurs, that will require yeah. a level of, you know, a level of like... Tactical net news as well. Yeah, it's not ta- tactical just yeah, these guys are enjoying be, themselves, let them play. Yeah, like I think if they beat Spurs, it'll be down to, you know, something different being brought to the table. And yeah. it will be time to take notice of what's going on if they can beat Spurs yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen though because it, it's actually amazing what a feeling can how, yeah, how the feeling yeah. can change Agreed. the the aspect of the, of the game that they're playing because Solskjaer is actually playing a very similar setup to what Mourinho is playing the difference is they're passing forward they're passing they're moving the, you, you see the, the the front three are actually doing intricate runs they know what they're doing they under, under Mourinho, they're passing it sideways, passing it back. Matic was getting the ball, turning, holding on to it. Pogba was getting the ball, holding it. Now you see Pogba getting the ball, passing it off straight away. Rashford's making a run. Martial's making a run. Lukaku's making a run. It's all different. It's all. It's the same players playing the same system. The difference is the feeling around the camp is much happier and they actually want to play for this manager. Uh, the one thing that I will say about Solskjaer is he has done what he's needed to do fantastically well. He's come in. He's praised the players. He said exactly the opposite of what Mourinho was saying, saying that they don't have the players to do this. Solskjaer's been saying it's a fantastic group of players. And he's also been saying, which I think it's it's important to get the fans on the side, is this is Manchester United. And some of these players need to kick up the hole and realise they're playing for Manchester United, realising that there's history behind the badge and that to play for Manchester United, you have to play to a standard. And the, those players haven't been playing to the standard and I think that's one thing Solskjaer's done very well. Yeah, and we're going to see how that plays out now over the next uh, few weeks, which I think brings us towards the towards the end of the show anyway. Coming up now anyway, it's an interview with Graham Maloney, met him on the sidelines of the FAI under-15s uh, kind of coaching session that the head coach uh, put on and his coaching staff. Graham was there just as a young coach having a look at the side, so I did say it to him at the time, we might as well actually just have the conversation we were having on the side of the pitch, let's have it on the radio. So we did that earlier today. And that is coming up now. And that's it for this week's show. Jonathan, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Derek. Thank you, Raf. Uh, Enda. No bother. And Joe Coffey, thanks for being on the line. Raf, pleasure as always. And thanks for the 10 out of 10 uh, review of Mohal as well, because the difference <laughs> of Trevor Can we go on tour to Mohal soon? Team 33 live from Mohal. We can, we certainly can. Anyway, um, here's the Graham Maloney interview, and then we'll obviously take it away, Johan. All right, delighted to be joined by Graham Maloney, a coach at Blessington. Um, we actually met um, on the sidelines of an FAI under-15s uh, coaching session, and uh, I was just there from the media perspective, and Graham on his side was there just kind of looking um, from the experience of a young coach coming through. So we just wanted to chat, actually, because we had a chat on the sideline, but I thought it would be interesting to have it on the radio as well. Um, and we want to touch on kind of tactics and also the whole idea of getting coaching badges as well. Um, Graham. Um, I suppose um, you kind of explained it to me on the sideline at the time that you're kind of a budding coach at the moment. So where are you at in terms of the badges you're getting, um, the UEFA ones and the Kickstarters or what's now known as the Player Development Plan programme? Right, so basically um, I'm only, I've only been coaching two or three years now at this point. So I'm actually just after I finished the Player Development Plan 2 
there during the summer, which means uh, now I'm going on to the, hopefully I'm going on to the goalkeeping fundamentals badge next, which is the start for the goalkeeping coaching. And then from there, I'll go on to my goalkeeping badges and hopefully then move across onto the main badges that you see your uh, your, your coaches doing nowadays. So uh, that will go the national D license, the national C, the UEFA B, the UEFA A and the UEFA Pro. Okay, and um, from the very beginning, like how long has it taken from taking the first uh, course up to where you are now? Well, to be honest, um, the first course that I did was only a year and a half ago. So, and that was just a couple of days, and then I I took a year off. I took a year to do the next course because what they say is to use the information that you actually get as opposed to just going bang, bang, bang with courses because like, then you're just getting information thrown at you to actually use that information uh, yourself. Yeah, and uh, cost-wise as well, I guess in the early stages it's not too prohibitive, but um, if you were to say you're going to go from the very beginning all the way to the very top, so the pro licence, um, how, lo- how much would we be looking at in terms of cost and then maybe actually your amount, the amount of time you have to spend in terms of years to get from top to bo- or from bottom to top? Well, for, in terms of cost, obviously the, the, the FAI likes to push uh, as many coaches as possible to do these badges. So the, the basic badges like the PDP, the player development plans, they cost 50 euro to 100 euro a go. Um, so that's not too expensive. But once you get onto the National D license, it starts to cost up in the hundreds. And then as you get into the UEFA, uh, the UEFA A and B and Pro, it gets into the thousands. And then in terms of years, it would usually... You, again, it usually take you usually take a year in between each one to uh, use your stuff. So I'd say six, seven years. Mm. Uh, you talked about the practical side a little bit that you don't want to just kind of go bang, bang, bang from course to course, and you have to apply what you're learning. Um, in terms of the differences, say between doing the PDP one and then going on to number two, what's the difference in terms of the amount of information that's being kind of placed on you in terms of what you have to learn? It's very much. In terms of the information, it's very much, um, the PDP one is very basic, it's very introductory into just you coaching, and it's just, it's how to coach just uh, seven-a-side games mostly. And then as you go into the PDP two, that's for, more for nine-a-side games as you get older, uh, so you'll be saying under uh, uh, nines, tens, elevens, twelves, and then uh, PDP three and the National D, well, the PDP three would be more for eleven-a-side games, and then the National D would be going into your uh, U academies kind of thing. Yeah, so it wouldn't be really pushing the idea of like what t- type or like I suppose the style of football or how you would like to see a team set up at eleven-a-side. I guess it's a bo- bit more structured, small-sided game kind of idea, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's very much um, just introducing you to coaching and the basics of it. Like it gives you like uh, I have the booklet and it gives you like a load of drills that you can look at and uh, use yourself. And there's not really there's no tactics or anything like that. It's more about having fun and uh, developing the basic skills of players because at that age, tactics are not really the main focus. It's usually when you get to 11 or sorry now and the older ages. Yeah, and even say watching you know elite football on the telly over the Christmas. Um, do you with the stuff? I know you're kind of looking at it the more basic side as you've just explained. But do you sometimes see elements, uh, basic little elements, even in the elite level, from what you're working on at the moment? 
Yeah, exactly. You would, because that has to be ingrained into kids at a young age. Stuff like moving off the ball, stuff like getting your head up while you're on the ball. And we do, and we have drills set up like that to use those things. So uh, getting your head up while you're on the ball, dribbling, uh, just the basics and all. And you'd, you'd see that um, athletes at an elite level have had these skills ingrained into them from a young age. Mm. And has that kind of, you know, has, have you found yourself kind of applying that then in terms of the coaching you're doing? I know you're working more with kind of younger players, but maybe not so much on the tactical side, but actually just applying certain and then actually maybe seeing the stuff you're applying being, you know, being pulled off in games as well. That is why I love about coaching. When you tell someone to do something and they do it and then they realize how much it benefits them. That is why I like mainly as a goalkeeping coach all my tips are for goalkeepers and how they move and all and when you see one of your goalkeepers pull out a, a great save because of the positioning or because of where uh, because of various factors and you know that they've tried that on the training field and they've worked on that that is one of the best feelings as a coach mm, yeah i'd imagine it would be it's kind of that uh, i suppose that practical element of seeing something actually come off but um yeah. Yeah, even when we were on the sidelines say back at the end of october um, at that fai thing um i suppose we were both watching the idea of playing out from the back and that this is being brought through and are you seeing this like not so much even just at blessington but beyond um this idea of trying to play out from the back try and be progressive because that's what we want to see happening more around the country because again it feeds into what we see at international level then where we do have a tendency to hoof the ball but maybe we're seeing signs at underage like underage international teams that that is changing a little bit yeah it, it's um it's been very well developed by uh Rude's, uh doctor while, uh, trying to bring in playing out from the back and more importantly playing under pressure and learning when to play out from the back and when to actually stop and that I think that's really important that we develop these in our, uh, in our uh, young footballers, not only just to be able to pass the ball, not be able, uh, but to know where to pass the ball, when to pass the ball, if to just go long. Mm. So I remember you were talking to Jason, uh, the Ireland under-15 uh, head coach, about uh, playing out, playing against a high press, and he would just say, just to go over, just to go over the press. Sometimes that's the best idea, and just the, the whole point is to educate these kids on not just playing out from the back, but to know when to do it and know when not to do it. Yeah, and then even other things, I mean, in the last few years, just at the elite level, we're seeing a lot more back trees being played. Um, you know, there's, we, we have ideas of feedback loops in different industries, and I guess it maybe applies in football as well, where you might see something at the very highest level or either it's coming from the highest level and then being filtered down or it's coming from the lower level and then being filtered up. But are you seeing little things like that that you might see watching a game on TV then being applied in a youth game or is that something that's still, they're still quite far away from each other? Um, with youth game and seniors, it's very different in the sense that it, when you, as soon as you go into senior football, it's results-based. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the elite level, in youth football, you're given more of a um, you're given more of a kind of like a blank canvas to develop to develop something. You're playing, you're you're uh, judged on your style as opposed to the results. Mm. And I think you coaches are a bit better are a bit better off in that sense. Yeah, so, so, you, yeah. so you have time yeah. to just uh, you know work on key things and just repeat, repeat, repeat. Unlike what happens, obviously, at senior level, where you obviously have to change if things aren't exactly working out. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and I suppose a final question, actually, just um, as a maybe somebody who's interested in tactics as well. Um, 2018 was a year where we saw two of the teams that won some of the major tournaments, so France winning the World Cup and Real Madrid winning the Champions League, don't seem to have any set philosophy or any real set tactic. They seem to adapt to the players they have, um, which was different to, say, the Pep Guardiola era where he had his idea and then everything has to be based around what that idea is. Um, there's obviously pros and cons to it, but um, are you kind? Of, what did you actually make of that, actually, the fact that maybe the two most successful teams in terms of trophies didn't really have a set idea? Well, with, um, with France, what they have done over the last few years is really to develop their players and to just have their players to be able to uh, just make sure that the standard of French football has improved. Uh, they're what they did actually was interesting. Their whole idea was to make better French players so the league would get more money into it by foreign clubs buying their players. Uh, that was implemented years ago and um, it, it, it benefited their national team, obviously. And what you see is it's, it's different with senior football and uh, international football because you do actually have a, a, a sort of system to play with in terms of throughout the youth levels and learning to uh, play. And then um, at the World Cup, it was very interesting to watch uh, France play because I thought they, they were absolutely fantastic in Golo Kante and Pogba in the, together in the middle, uh, in the midfield. And uh, with, uh, with Real Madrid, Real Madrid just had Zidane. And Zidane is the best man motivator there is at the moment. And also carries through the ball into the net. Don't remind me, please. Thank you. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, do you see any kind of tra tactical trends coming through um, in the next uh, over the next few months that maybe they might have noticed watching senior games, or are we kind of going to muddle through in the same way that France and Real Madrid have in a way? Um, what I've noticed is a lot of uh, emphasis on building stuff for the future. So you see uh, what Pochettino's done at Spurs, what Klopp's done at Liverpool, what uh, United are trying to do in terms of getting a sporting director in and getting in a long-term manager to actually build something for the future, build a philosophy. Um, I think a lot of football is gaining towards high press. That seems to be the new, uh, the new, the new thing, like the tiki-taka in the, in the late 2000s or total football with the Dutch. It seems to be the new, the new shiny thing, uh, high press, which I'm a very big fan of to watch. Mm. And it would be just about, it's being compact. Yeah, it's being compact and being very narrow, very vertically compact and narrowly compact. It's about, uh, uh, Simeone did this very well with Atletico Madrid, and I actually used this uh, when I went over to Sweden with me and the manager. We used this, uh, we went over to a youth World Cup and we used the idea of having the team very compact mm. and narrowly across the pitch and vertically high. So the striker to the midfield are the same distance apart the whole length of the pitch. The midfield to the fence the whole length is the same length the whole length of the pitch and the goalkeeper to the fence is the same length the whole width, uh, the whole length of the pitch and if the striker pushes forward the midfield pushes forward the defence pushes forward the goalkeeper pushes forward and I think that is crucial in your uh, style of play to have cohesion to have um, it's just so an opposing team can't pass through yeah. like let, let them play wide let them get the ball into the box because you're going to have a numerical advantage 
basically. So uh, don't just, uh, that's one of the most important things about defending, which is don't let them pass through the middle. Mm, of course. Um, Graham, thanks a million for joining us anyway, and it was good to meet you back in October. I'm sure we'll probably touch base at some point again to, um, I suppose maybe at some time, maybe later this year or something to talk through tactics, coaching, etc. again. But uh, yeah, thanks a million for taking the time anyway, and best of luck with uh, your progression as a coach. Thank you, Ralph. See you yeah. now.